Welcome to A Transforming Word with Pastor Bill Buffington. This program is a ministry of Calvary Chapel, Inglewood. Today on A Transforming Word. They believed the word of God that we're going to the promised land and they, they believed it so much that they were saying, we, we, want, we want possession in the promised land where we're going. And so I just will point this out, man. There, there are parents who maybe in your lifetime, you jacked up bad, did drugs, lived in sin, fornicated, just ran amok, you tore up. It's possible that the Lord can get a hold of you later and that you can raise up some kids that don't re-make your mistake. Our God is a God of hope and redemption. He can stop the cycle of generational sin and oppression and bring freedom. The frustrating thing about sin is that it has a way of subtly working its way back into a heart. And it's especially heartbreaking for parents to see it take root and bring destruction in their children's lives. God's heart breaks even more over it. But as Pastor Bill will encourage us in today's message, we can experience freedom when we place our trust in Christ. Now, here's Pastor Bill in the book of Numbers chapter 26 for today's edition of A Transforming Word. Look at Numbers 26, start at verse 57. It says, and these are those who were numbered of the Levites according to their families. Gershon, the family of the Gershonites of Korah, the family of the, I'm sorry, Kohath, the family of the Kohathites and Merari, the family of the Merarites. These are the families of the Levites, the family of the Libanites, the family of the Hebronites, the family of the Mahalites, the family of the Mushites, and the family of the Korathites, and Korah begot Amram. And now we get, we're going to get down to when we get to Moses' family. So verse 59, the name of Amram's wife was Jochebed, the daughter of Levi, who was born to Levi in Egypt. And to Amram, she bore Aaron and Moses and their sister Miriam. And so that's the important point there. That's how come they're part of the priesthood. And that's what God is, God is making that point clear. Who's from Levi? Who's for the priesthood? Whose kids are going to continue this ministry? Verse two, to Aaron were born Nadab and Abihu, Eleazar and Ithamar. And Nadab and Abihu died when they offered profane fire before the Lord. We looked at that earlier. Now those who were numbered of them were 23,000, every male from a month old and above, for they were not numbered among the other children of Israel because there was no inheritance given to them among the children of Israel. These are those who were numbered by Moses and Eleazar the priest who numbered the children of Israel in the plains of Moab by the Jordan across from Jericho. But among these, there was not a man of those who were numbered by Moses and Aaron and the priests when they were numbered of the children of Israel in the wilderness of Sinai. So this is what's said there. 38 years earlier when they were counted, he says now that we're recounting, there's not a single person that was in that earlier count that's here. Anybody know what happened to them and why? Because of their unbelief, they didn't go in and God told them, you, go, you, you guys are going to all die here in the woods. So they all died there in the woods, just like God said. Now, there were two people that God said wouldn't die. Who were they? Joshua and Caleb. And so one thing we're reminded of right here is that God keeps his word, right? Everybody God said wasn't going to make it. They didn't make it right here. It tells us it says there's not one person, not, not one person slid through, you know, got by the judgment of God. Not one of those unbelievers made it. But the two people that made it were the two people that God spoke 38 years earlier. He says, you know what? You guys are all not going in because of unbelief. You're going to die here in the desert. Your kids are going to go in except for you two right here. Joshua and Caleb. Why? Because they trusted God. They believed God. 
And I, I hope that we can see the difference that that makes because we're looking at this here in terms of promised land, who gets to go and who doesn't. But there's even a bigger thing here, right? There are people that, you know, we call non-believers. These are people that have not received Christ, people that don't believe the promise of God today. And they're not going to make it either. They're, they're not going to make it in. They're not going to see life beyond death. They're not, they're not going to make it into heaven as unbelievers. The promise today is to those who believe in Jesus, those that receive what he has for them. And there won't be anybody that skates by that reality. There's not going to be, God's not going to bend the rule. God's not going to say, well, you know, you were really a good guy. So, you know, never mind that you didn't believe. No one's going to slip by that, just like they didn't slip by right here. And so, there was not a man of those who were numbered by Moses and Aaron and the priests when they numbered the children of Israel in the wilderness of Sinai. For the Lord had said to them, they shall surely die in the wilderness. So there was not left a man of them except Caleb, the son of Jephunneh, and Joshua, the son of Nun. And again, I just want us to be reminded of that. What they did that pleased the Lord so much was, if you guys remember, they went in to spy out the land. They saw that everything God said was true. They saw the giants, they saw the adversaries, they saw the enemies, they saw the fortified lands. And they said, even having seen all that, that's nothing for God. If God's given us this land, then we're going to get it. And so they, they believed God. They were, they were ready to go. Um, it was the other spies that came back and brought the negative report and got everybody discouraged and afraid and the group didn't go in. So all these many years later, this, these two guys are preparing. We're, we're about at the end. The book of Numbers covers about a 38-year period of time of Israel's history. It'll be once we get into Deuteronomy that we finally get moving into the promised land, but we're right now on the border. And so um, now look at chapter 27 with me, and we're, we're now moving toward the promised land. And I, I, I titled the chapter here, Passing the Baton. We're going to have two instances in this chapter where someone's dying and, and leaving something behind. In this first instance, there are daughters that have been left behind. Their father was one of the people that died because of unbelief. And he left his daughters and he didn't have a son. So these daughters are saying, wait a minute, we're getting ready to go into the land of promise and there's no, my dad didn't have any sons to leave anything to. Are we going to get anything? And up until this time in Israel's history, it was not custom that land would be left to a daughter or that it was always left. The son was always heir. The son was always the one that would carry on the father's name. But these two girls are saying, hey, wait a minute. My dad didn't have any sons. What about us? And so let's look at this. Look at chapter 27 verses, starting in verse one. It says, then came the daughters of Zelophead, the son of Hefer, the son of Gilead, the son of Mekur, the son of Manasseh, from the family of, the, of Manasseh, the son of Joseph, and these were the names of his daughters, Mahala, Noah, Hogla, that's a messed up name for a girl, uh, Milka, and Tirza. So this guy's daughters are left behind. It says, and they stood before Moses, before Eleazar the priest, and before the leaders and all the congregation by the doorway of the tabernacle of meeting, saying, our father died in the wilderness but he was not of the company of those who gathered against the Lord, gathered together against the Lord in the company with Korah. But he died in his own sin and he had no sons. Why should the name of our father be removed from among his family? Because he had no son. Give us a possession among our father's brothers. And so let's look at what they're doing here. And I, I think there's some important things that we can take from what these young ladies are doing. Uh, first, I would point out this. 
They had a dilemma, they had a problem, and where did they bring their dilemma and their problem? They brought it to the Lord. They brought it to the tabernacle of meeting where the elders and the leaders, those that God had established as leadership were, they brought their issue to where it could be resolved by those that God had raised up and established. And I, I, I say it all the time, but I'll just say it once more tonight, is a lot of times people take their problems, their life challenges and struggles, and they take them to people that don't even know God. They just discussing it with your friends or taking it over here, looking for secular help with it when it needs to be the pattern, the condition of the people of God that we bring our issues, our problems to the Lord because he can help, right? Bringing it to the Lord where something can actually be done. There can actually be a, a resolution to the issue. And so these girls are saying, man, we, you know, our dad died and we want land in the promised land. We don't want to be left with nothing. And, um, and, and it's a legitimate thing. I, I do see something here that I want to point out. Their father, when it says that our dad died in his sin, what was his sin? Um, his sin was that he was part of the company of people that didn't believe God, so he couldn't go to the promised land. That was his sin, the sin of unbelief. Now, that happened 38 years earlier. Now, in the midst of the time in between when God pronounced, you guys can't go in, but your kids can, it, it appears that this man has raised up daughters that believe. Even though he wasn't going to be able to go into the promised land, he had passed something down to these daughters that they believed that they were going to go. They believed the word of God that we were, were going to the promised land. And they, they believed it so much that they were saying, we, we, want, we want possession in the promised land where we're going. And so I just will point this out, man. There, there are parents who maybe in your lifetime, you jacked up bad, did drugs, lived in sin, fornicated, just ran amok, you tore up. It's possible that the Lord can get a hold of you later and that you can raise up some kids that don't remake your mistake. It's possible that someone that lived in, you know, I, made, I lived a certain kind of way growing up till I got saved. It's possible to raise up kids that don't follow my error, that I'm able to pass on faith to them. I'm able to pass on a relationship with the Lord, belief in God, trust in God. And so we only get to see the fruit. We never get to see this dad relate with these kids. But the fruit says... That these daughters believed God, they believed in the promises of God, and they wanted what God was making available to the people of God. And again, even though dad had messed up years earlier, he had left the most important thing behind. And so because we're a, a family of a church of families, um, I'm always encouraging us, man, pass it down to your kids. Make sure that we're passing down our faith in God to our kids, that we're sharing the Lord with them, that we're living it in, in front of them, that we're, we're actual examples, that we're not, we're not going to be part of the reason why our kids don't believe, that they won't look to us and, and we be their excuse. Um, now, I tell kids this too. There's no, there's no, there can be no genuine, you know, when I stand before God, I can't say, well, God, the reason I didn't believe in you is because my dad did this or my mom was like that. So that's how come I don't believe. God's going to say, no, 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 no. You, 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 everybody stands before God by yourself. So um, that was an excuse I had for years. I had a person in my family very close that was actually, a, if you can imagine, a, a minister that was not saved. So not, believe, not, not born again, but they were a minister. They held a position of ministry at church. And so my mom had, took us at different times to go see this person minister. And I'm looking and saying, like, I live, I, I, I mean, I know this, this, they're not saved. Like, they don't, I know everything else about them. Fornicate, get drunk, you know, cuss, run them up. And then you go on Sunday and look and it's like, they talk different. You know, they're, they're dressed different. And I'm like, I thought the whole thing was a sham. It was the biggest, it was a big hindrance for me coming up. But I remember there was a day when I got confronted with the living God myself. 
And God let me know that that, that, won't, that won't stand. When you come before me, you won't be able to tell me that I rejected Jesus because I had a family member that was fake. You then, that, the, 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 and the exhortation I got from the Lord was to, to go be real. You, know, you go live it out for real. Don't be another fake. Um, and so this guy, somehow, again, he passed down faith. And uh, his daughters are wanting what God has for them. And so I just want to encourage us that we are intentionally sharing with our kids that we're passing it down, that we're speaking to them. Um, even involve your kids when you struggle. Some parents don't want kids to know. They're like, well, I don't, want any, I don't want them to be upset. But, you know, if your kids don't see the things that you're praying for, then they also don't get to see when God answers. They don't get to see when God comes through. And so, um, you know, sometimes we need to let them know, hey, you know what, guys, we're, we're praying about this right here. And I'm going to include you guys in the prayer. You know, we're, we, we don't know what God's going to do or when he's going to do it. Or how he's gonna, but let's just all pray. And then when God does it, they get, this, they get to rejoice in his faithfulness, too. They get to say, I remember we were praying for that. And then their little faith is growing. They're seeing God move among you. And that's how we want to be raising our kids. Um, my, my goal in, 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 my, in my life is that every single one of my kids would know God. That, that, that's my goal in parenting. Everything else is extra. But my goal is that they would know the Lord. And so, again, even though this guy wasn't going in and he died, um, looked like he spent them years doing all right. You know, he 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 had his mistake. He had his time where he didn't get it right. But um, his daughters want what God has for them. Um, again, his sin was unbelief. That was what kept him out. That's why he wasn't going to be going in to the promised land. And in verse four, it says they ask a question. Why should the name of our father be removed from among his family? Because he had no son. Give us a possession uh, among our father's brothers. And this is just something that was interesting to me as I read it. It wasn't just that these girls were concerned about getting something. It's not like my dad died and we're not getting nothing. Can we get something? It's, it's, it's more than that. They're saying, hey, we want our dad's name preserved. And I would just challenge every parent to consider that. You're, when you die, it, it, this is what I hope. I hope that we parent in such a way that when we die, I hope there's something left for them. You know, I mean, that, that'd be nice. But I hope also that our kids would want to preserve our name. I hope that we wouldn't die and our kids be like, well, they were just such a bad person anyway. I hope they left me something that some people, they die and they, all that matters is what was left. That's all that's concerned. These daughters say we want to preserve our dad's name. Our dad was a good man. We, we want to preserve it. We don't want his name to, 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 to run out. And I don't have time to go into it tonight, but well, let's let's keep moving and I'll, I'll explain. So look at verse five now. It says, so Moses brought their case before the Lord and I would point this out for those that are leaders. This is a new situation. Um, it's never been before, right? There's never been a case where a, a, the a inheritance was left to females, was left to daughters. And so this is the first time it was asked. And Moses has 40 years of ministry experience, 40 years he's been serving God. And Moses doesn't just shoot off the hip, you know, and say, well, I've been doing this 40 years. You know, nah, that's not how we do it over here. You know what he does? What any good leader should do? That's a great question. I, mean, I need to go to the Lord. I need to pray. And pastors and parents and anybody in authority over other people, we got to be humble enough to be okay with getting hit with something we don't know. I, I, I don't know. That's a, that's, I, you got me right there. I'm stumped. I need to go pray about that. That's a, that's a good question. I don't, I don't want to just shoot off the hip and just give you some answers so I look like I know everything. It's like that, that, if, if you get hit with something you don't know, a good leader is going to be able to say, I, I need to go before the Lord on that. That's what Moses does here. Moses doesn't lean on his years of walking with God, doesn't lean on the fact that he's an authority, he doesn't lean on, he doesn't, he, he also doesn't say, well, we've never done that before. 
So then I guess that's not what we do. That's something that hinders the church where people get so into a rut of, you know, well, we, that's not what we do. Well, is it what God wants to do now, though? Maybe you've never done it before for whatever reason, but is it what God wants now? We, we got to always leave room for God to speak new and fresh. Amen. And so Moses says, man, I, I got to take this before the Lord. And he brings it before the Lord. Look at verses uh, six to 11 now. And the Lord responded to Moses. It says, and the Lord spoke to Moses saying, the daughters of Zelophit speak what is right. You shall surely give them a possession of inheritance among their father's brothers and cause the inheritance of their father to pass to them. And you shall speak to the children of Israel saying, so now God says, you know what? I want you to give them an inheritance. They should get that. They're, you know what? What they said is right. And God sets new precedents for when this should happen in the future. So he says in verse eight now, and you shall speak to the children of Israel saying, if a man dies and has no son, then you shall cause his inheritance to pass to his daughter. If he has no daughter, then you shall give his inheritance to his brothers. If he has no brothers, then you shall give his inheritance to his father's brothers. And if his father has no brothers, then you shall give his inheritance to the relative closest to him and his family, regardless of sex, and he shall, he shall possess it. And it shall be to the children of Israel a statute of judgment, just as the Lord has commanded Moses. And so out of this comes new instruction. God says, you know what? What these girls say is good. That's a great thing they brought up. I, you know, this is what we're going to do from now on. And so he gives them this instruction. He goes out. So I would just say this to the credit of these young ladies. They brought their issue to the Lord. The issue that they're bringing to the Lord is even brought in faith because they're asking for an inheritance in a land that they're not in yet. They're not in the promised land yet. But they're, they're headed there and they believe that they're headed there. So they believe they're, they're women of faith. And it was quite courageous for them because kind of like, you know, Esther, as she went before the king, you know, for Esther, it could have been life or death when she went before the king. For these ladies, for them to show up, this is a this is an unfavorable in that era. This is an unfavorable thing for some girls to step to leadership and say, hey, we want to we want to challenge the, you know, the, 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 the norm, right? The norm here is that this happens, but we want to challenge that. And even though in that society, it would have been wrong. I just want you to note that God usually doesn't roll with what's right or wrong in society, right? It's what's right or wrong before the Lord. So even in that culture and that society where women were kept in a certain place, God says, no, they have a right to bring that and they're right. And you're going to give it to them and they're going to have a land and the inheritance. Now, when it gets passed on to a daughter and she gets married, then, you know, she's an heiress. Uh, it gets spread somewhere else. And so his name still ends up dissolving. And so in chapter 36, they they kind of fix that part of it. But here God says, you know what? Give them give them inheritance in the land. And so I would just say this to us as believers that we shouldn't be afraid to go against what's culturally acceptable and normal. I think in order to walk with God in the, the land in which we live, in the culture in which we live, you have to be willing to go against what's okay and acceptable and normal in our culture because our culture is very carnal and very sinful and very messed up. And so I titled the message Passing the Baton and I would just say this before we move on to the next section. This dad who's dead has passed on something to his daughters which was faith, belief in what God said he was going to do for the people of God, belief in where God was taking them and it was enough faith in them that they couldn't just sit by and stand by and with the thought of we're not going to have an inheritance in the promised land where we're going. They said, we, we want this so bad. We're going we're gonna to go forward and do something about it. 
And I would just say that about faith, that faith demands that action. You, you can't believe and do nothing. You can't have faith that, that the faith that doesn't do anything is dead. So their faith made them move out. It's evident that God was pleased with their faith. If you're writing notes, you can write down Hebrews chapter 11, verse 6, which says, But without faith, it is impossible to please him. For he who comes to God must believe that he is and that he is a rewarder of those who diligently seek him. Right. God says, I, I, those who come to me must believe that I am and that I'm a rewarder of those that diligently seek me. Faith pleases God. These ladies please him and he granted their request and God gave some new instructions for what was to take place in Israel from that point on. And so now starting at verse 12, we pick up with Moses and we're, we're pretty much going to be coming to the end of the life of Moses. And Moses now has got to get ready to pass the baton. He's got he's got to get ready to hand it over to the one that will take over after him. So look at verse 12. It says, now the Lord said to Moses, go up into the mount, this Mount Abiram and see the land which I have given to the children of Israel. And when you have seen it, you also shall be gathered to your people as Aaron, your brother, was gathered. And so God tells Moses, Moses, you know, I want you to go and see the land. I want you to go up on this mountain and I want you to see the land that I'm giving the people of God. When you see the promised land and after you see it, you're going to die. Now, everybody remembers why Moses doesn't get to go in. If you don't remember, I'll, I'll remind us, you know, God had at one point, you know, had Moses out there with these complaining Israelites and they said, oh, we, we're thirsty. And Moses prayed and God said, hey, take the rod and strike the rock one time and water will gush out and water the people and everything was done. And they were getting on Moses nerves. And we read the story and I, I, I'm going to say, you know, so I don't sound holier than I am. I could kind of understand Moses' point of view. There was a, they were constantly just nagging him and just, man, how come you brought us here to kill us? And I'm like, it just, it was nonstop. The kind of stuff that, you know, it just wear you out. Just droves of people complaining all day long, but then he got in the flesh. And they came one day and they said, ah, they complained and they were thirsty again. And he said, you rebels, he yelled at the people and he took the rock, the, the rod and he struck the, right tw- the rock twice and misrepresented the Lord and he messed up a biblical picture. Interesting thing was God gave him water out the rock anyway, right? God still took care of them. But then God said, Mo, you messed up, bro. You, you misrepresented me to my people. You angry with them. I'm not angry with them. But now they think I'm angry with them because of how you represent. So now because you did that, you can't go into the promised land. That's the punishment. And it seemed harsh and it seemed like, man, that's that's heavy. You know, like you can't go. But God said, no, you can't go. Now, Somebody might think it's unfair that God would bring them up and say, you get to look at it. Some people may think it's gracious. And I think Moses got there and said, maybe because one of, you know, we know God is merciful. And I think Mo got there and said, maybe he's going to let me go in after all. We don't get the whole story here. But if you're writing notes or if you want to turn there with me, turn to Deuteronomy 3, 23 to 26. I think Moses got his hopes up when God said, go look at it. And he looked at it and then he wasn't going to get to go in. But Deuteronomy, I'm sorry, Deuteronomy chapter three, and I'm going to read 23 to 26. I'll let you guys turn there. Just one book forward. It's a little bit ahead. When you get it, say, got it. So here it goes. This, this, is, a, this is a little extra filler in, in the story that we're reading now. It says, then I pleaded with the Lord at that time saying, oh, Lord God, you have begun to show your servant your greatness and your mighty hand. 
For what God is in heaven or on earth who can do anything like your works and your mighty deeds? I pray, let me cross over and see the good land beyond the Jordan, those pleasant mountains and Lebanon. Thanks for joining Pastor Bill on a transforming word as he teaches through the book of Numbers. As you listen to today's message, we pray that it has not only inspired you in your faith journey, but challenged you in your relationships. The book of Numbers recounts the various struggles the people of Israel faced with those outside of their camp, but also within. Surely, there are difficulties you might be facing inside your family, your church, your work setting, and the nation as a whole. But God is still here, and He's proven time and time again that He's not leaving you or abandoning you. So when you're tempted to get down and out, chin up and remember that He is faithful. The messages you've been listening to are in Ministry of Calvary Chapel, Inglewood. If you're ever in or near the Inglewood area, you're more than welcome to join us for church. We meet at Calvary Chapel Inglewood every Sunday and Wednesday. And you can get more information on our website at calvaryinglewood.org. You can also call or text us for more information. Our number is 310-245-4811. Again, that's 310-245-4811. If you're looking for more resources or ways to connect with us, you can find us on Facebook, Instagram, and YouTube. Just look for the links on our website. Again, that's CalvaryInglewood.org. Well, that's all we have time for today. But Pastor Bill will have more to share from the book of Numbers next time on A Transforming Word. <laughs>